So uh, if you're visiting with us, we normally don't do this. Normally we go into time of worship and then we preach. But what we are doing just for a season is doing the, the, a shorter message. Pray for me. Uh, doing a shorter message. And, uh, and then we are going into an extended time of worship and, uh, and uh, give as much space as we can just to encounter God's presence. Because we just are aware that this has been a crazy year, right? And it's been super intense and la dee and, uh, and as I keep on saying, like when things are intense and there's pressure on your life, um, other stuff come up, other stuff comes to the surface. There's pressure, and uh, and so I just I'm aware that for most people it's been just a it's been a horrible year um, on top of all the normal stuff that everyone's gone through with lockdowns and COVID and um, riots and uh, economic pressure and all the rest of it. So uh, we're just doing this series, finding refuge, and uh, we want to come and find refuge in the arms of God. Now, I want to explore this morning a fantastic little story. I mean, this is like Bay Kids this morning. We're going to have a little story about Elijah. And, uh, and it's just such, you'll, most of you will be aware of the story, but it's just so epic. So Elijah's living in this culture that's totally sold out. Like, they're just like, we don't care about your God. We're going to worship Baal. And there's like all these prophets of Baal. And, um, you know, it's, uh, and like poor Elijah's like this kind of remnant like Christian, or they didn't call him that then, but like he's like this remnant who's just like, no, nah, I'm committed to God. And he was a hardcore for God, like epic prophet sort of guy. Um, and then he has this, this monster battle with the, with the prophets of Baal on Mount, Mount Carmel. It's just so cool, right? You all know the story. Most of you guys know. It's like, you know, let's put two sacrifices, big bulls on these, uh, on these altars, and then Baal, you know, your prophets, you know, you're going to pray to Baal and see if he'll consume the, the sacrifice of fire, and then little old Elijah, then it'll be your turn. So like the prophets of Baal go first, and then like, this story's awesome, mate, eh? because Elijah's mocking them. He's like, oh, maybe he's asleep, you know, and it's like, maybe you should yell a little louder, maybe he can't quite hear you, and it's like, they're all like self-flagellating and trying to like, trying to like get, and then like he, and then he like, it's like the place is under famine, but he's like, get three, I mean, it's his turn, he's like, get three giant buckets of water and they tip it all over the sacrifice. And it's just like, whoa, this is like, he's like fully like doubling down. And then, uh, and then he prays this simple prayer and then it's like, how cool is that picture? It's like just this fire from heaven comes and descends on the, um, and it's just like this monster victory for Elijah. It's like, in your face, in your face. But by in your face, he's meant off with your head, because that's kind of what he did after that, which I'm not sure God was thrilled about. But anyway, um, he goes, and he's like, like on this massive high, like I know what this feels like as a pastor. Like you have a good service. I hope this morning's a good service. You know, you have a good service where like people encountering God and he's ministering and like lives are getting touched and his breakthrough. And you're like, oh, this is the best job in the world. And you're like on this high and you're fizzing. And then it's like, and you know what happens every time after a moment like that? There's the corresponding low, hey? Oh, anyone that been in ministry? But also in life, right? You go through life and you have moments of like, like wins or moments of intense pressure where a lot of adrenaline's flowing and it's just like, whoa, you know, there's, there, you pay the price for it down the track where there's this like corresponding low to whatever intensity you've gone through. And so, um, so Elijah's peeking out and then like Jezebel, now any woman in ministry <laughs> has probably been experienced, has experienced probably being called this. This is like the ultimate insult for like to a woman in ministry. 
tragically, all the names that, like poor Beth Moore, who I adore. Beth Moore's one of my favourites. I, I absolutely love Beth Moore with Jen's, she's a kid. I love Beth Moore. I wish, I mean, because she could be my mother, probably grandmother, but I'm like, she's just so awesome. She's one of the best Bible teachers out there. And she's been called Jezebel more times than you could even imagine. Like, you know, so Jezebel's a real, like, real derogatory word because she was a nasty piece of work back in the day. And so she gets hold of Elijah and like full on Liam Neeson styles. I photoshopped that if you're wondering. Uh, that's Liam Neeson and that's what Jezebel looks like. So I spent about seven hours on that. Um, he's like, she's like, I will hunt you down. I will find you and I will kill you. It's like full on Liam Neeson styles. Like that's what happened. Um, and so like Elijah, who's had this massive win, like he just freaks out because he's on, the, he's on the downward trajectory in terms of just what happens physiologically after a big intense moment. He's on the way down and he just freaks out. And so he moves from being like super brave and awesome and like, and runs away. And then like he has this moment where he just lies down under this bush. And like before this moment, he's like, he does, people say he's suicidal. He kind of, he's like, God, just take my life. He's not prepared to do it himself, but he's just like, I'm just, he's just having this massive low. Again, I get this. Like last week we had a wonderful service and on Monday I'm like, take me now, Lord, take me now. Like I'm just, and it's like, why? There's no logical reason for it. I'm just physiologically a bit shot the day after church. It's like, take me now, Lord. And it's like, and, and poor Elijah's just like shot and he's just so exhausted. He's effectively burnt out. He's just got nothing left in the tank. And uh, he lies under down under this bush. This is 1 Kings 19, 5 to 8. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Just a stunningly beautiful moment. And the reason I, um, I wanted to share this story is because I saw this little tweet um, earlier this year that I thought was absolutely stunning. This is your gentle reminder that one time in the Bible, Elijah was like, God, I'm so mad I want to die. So God said, here's some food. Why don't you have a nap? So Elijah slept, ate, and decided that things weren't so bad. Never underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Woo! Hot dang. That's a good word. Never underestimate the power, the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. Now listen to me, friends. We have had an intense year. It's been really intense. And like what we need to do in a metaphorical sense is have a nap and a snack in Jesus' name. Like there is something broken in our culture, deeply broken in our culture, because always in our society, you cannot have rhythms of rest. You've got to keep on going. No boss is going to say to you, it's been an intense year, let's take some extra time off. It's like because we've got to keep making money. We've got to keep on going. And like, so what we do is we get a modicum worth of energy back and then we just got to keep going. And we never really truly recover. And I want to say to you as your pastor that in this season, it's time to let God tend to you. It's time to let God tend to you. He wants to tenderly care for you in the same way he tenderly cared for Elijah. 
You know, most commentators think the angel of the Lord was actually Jesus before he came and incarnated himself. Jesus comes. Now, there's some debate around there, but, but every time the angel of the Lord is mentioned, he does things that only God could ever do, forgive sins, uh, minister in such a way. So it's like most likely Jesus, before he came in the flesh, he, he's, he's called the angel of the Lord. He comes, he just ministers to Elijah, and it's like, and it's just so beautiful, like makes a little feed, you know? I'm like... Food's awesome, eh? We went, out, we went out and had some great food on Friday night with Sharon to celebrate her birthday. And it's like, oh man, food is just so healing. Like it's just so, and it's like, there's Jesus. Like, it's okay, mate. Just rest and have a little nap. So after periods of intensity, we need to recover. After times of elation, we need to recover. After seasons of grief, we need to recover. Anytime you have had to dig deep, you will need to recover. Now here's, uh, I, I went to counselling <laughs> a lot, but uh, one of the guys I went to uh, in Christchurch was a guy called Richard Black, fantastic, fantastic Christian counsellor. And he talked to me about this idea of borrowing from the future. So when you dig deep, you're borrowing from the future and you do have to pay that back at some point. So it's like, oh yeah, I'm just going to hang in there. I'm going to try and get through this season. I'm just... And then like, so we just had the school holidays and, and most of the school, normally in one of those weeks, we shoot over to my parents on the Kapiti Coast for three or four days. And what I did when I stopped and rested at my parents is I paid back. I paid back from what I'd borrowed. And I was really, t- I just couldn't sleep enough. Like I was just, t- now I did my, my very best to be a good father and husband, but, um, but I was really weary. And, uh, and all, like since post COVID and, and, and the challenges of this year, uh, I've got some wonderful um, father figures in my life in the form of a spiritual, a, a spiritual um, um, director and a, a supervisor for my role. And he's just been very firm. You need to spend the rest of the year intentionally uh, recovering from all that you've had to give out. So when you dig deep, you've got to pay that back. And if you don't, and if you live in a a prolonged season of digging deep, or even more dangerously, it becomes a lifestyle by normalising that pattern, then uh, you will pay pay it back eventually. Um, Because you are human, and you have limitations. And there's two ways of paying it back. The wise way... Or the brownout slash burnout way. Like you will pay it back. You can't just keep going at that sort of intensity. Um, and so the problem is that for, like, for Elijah, he just lost sight of the calling on his life. He lost sight of the hope that was available to him. He was in absolute despair. Um, and the, tra- the most tragic thing about digging deep for too long is that we lose the capacity to love. We actually lose the capacity to love because what God calls us to is agape love. Agape love is sacrificial love for the other. And I just know <laughs> as a dad, after we've just survived all those preschool years, I just know as a dad that the agape love thing is the first thing that goes when I get really tired. It's like I become selfish because I have to on one level to like you know recover or whatever but it's because I haven't tended to myself or had the rhythms or been light on the expectations. And let me say to anyone with preschoolers, 
If you've got preschoolers right now, as far as I'm concerned, you're up Mount Carmel battening the, ba- the prophets of Baal. <laughs> it's like an intense period of your life. There's no way to dress it up. There's no shortcuts. There's no way around it. It's just super intense. And it's So what do you do when it's super intense? Can I just say the wisdom is you've got to be very, um, you've got to be very careful about what you say yes to. You've got to have the wisdom to go, as, as much as your pride doesn't like it, you have less capacity in this season of your life, especially when you've got priests. And it's like, but that, not exclusively, but it's a good example. It's like you just have to make decisions that acknowledge your smaller capacity when you're dealing with that kind of crazy. <laughs> now, our kids aren't preschoolers anymore, and they're still crazy. They still drive me up the wall, and it's like you have to... And it's uh, everything in me wants to keep living like I'm 20, <laughs> but I'm nearly 40, and these kids have kicked my butt for the last 10 years, and I've been a pastor through the whole thing, including the COVID. So I've got to be aware my capacity is just not what it used to be. And those that get most affected are those closest to us. It's really hard to live a life of agape love, of selfless love when you're munted, right? It's really hard. <laughs> and... Uh, and no one else in your, in your world is going to say this, but as your pastor on behalf of the Lord God Almighty, I just want to say you can slow down. You've got, you're human. You're vulnerable. And you need to make decisions that enable you to nap and to have a little snack, <laughs> metaphorically. A number of months, nap, that, I'm committed. I'm like, for the rest of this year, for us as a church, and for me personally, it's nappy and snacky. <laughs> Snappy as snacky as much as we can. And, uh, and so, listen, Brene Brown in her wonderful book, Dare to Lead, said this, Psychiatrist clinical research, oh, I forgot this up here. Oh, I do. Thank you, Ian. I told you I'd need you. Psychiatrist clinical researcher, and listen to this, founder of the National Institute of Play. This is your job, Ross, at one point in the future, surely. Founder of the National, we want, need one of those in the Bay, Ross. You need, we, need a, we need a regional institute of play led by Dr. Ross Longdon. But anyway, Dr. Stuart Brown notes that a lack of downtime has a deleterious effect on output and contribution. Ultimately, if we want to live a life of meaning, we have to be intentional in cultivating rhythms of sleep and play, snacky and nappy. We have to let go of exhaustion, busyness, and productivity as status symbols and measures of self-worth. We should not celebrate working through the weekend or bragging about being tethered to one's computer over Christmas break and so on. It's unsustainable behavior with dangerous side effects, including burnout, depression, and anxiety. It also creates a, a, a culture of workaholic competitiveness that is detrimental to everyone. Now, um, Elijah didn't anticipate this moment. He thinks he can keep going, and so he wigs out. And this is where, um, where God actually gives us the gift of pain. Now, this is fun, eh? It's like the gift of pain. So, what, so the problem with like, leprosy is that you don't feel when your body's in pain, and you munt your body up big time. Like that's the problem. You've got your nerve ends in the shot and you, you destroy your body because you don't know if your leg is on fire or if your hand's caught in the blinking machine or whatever. It's like, and so uh, pain is a gift that makes us aware that something's not right. And so when we get really exhausted, um, then, uh, and we, when we're really overwhelmed by life, I actually think we need to see it as a gift. It's an invitation of God because he's warning us something's not right. And uh, I know we're talking deep stuff here today, but I'm like, um, there is an enemy that wants to destroy your life, right? And one of the, the most, one of the easiest ways to destroy a person's life is keep them busy. Just keep going. 
you can do it. Keep digging deep. And maybe just recover a little bit so that you can just keep crawling through. God doesn't want us to live like this. Um, but here, I heard this many years ago, that, and it really spun me out. Listen to this. You have to really think. You're going to have to really follow me on this one. It's complicated. Listen. Unless the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same, most people will never change. So unless the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same, most people will never change. So for example, if your tooth is aching, there has to hit a certain level of pain before you're like, I'm prepared to go through the pain of the dentist because this pain is too much. But underneath that, I can, I can live with this pain. pain. Oh, it's all right. I, don't, I hate the dentist. I don't want to go to the dentist. The, the, the foul creatures of the enemy, and I don't want to go there. And the, the, It hurts me. It's always uncomfortable, and it hurts, blah, blah, blah. And then you hit a certain level of pain. I've got to go to the dentist. Whatever it takes, I've got to go to the dentist. It's the gift of pain. It's the gift of pain. So sometimes, now, I, I know that many of you are like, barely hanging on this year and that this has been brutal and 10 out of 10 for coming to church today and blah, blah, blah. That's why we're doing this series. But I, I want to implore you to hear the Lord. Hear, like, what's he saying to you in the pain? What's the invitation of God? Let's find a refuge in him. Let's make him Lord of our lifestyle, not just Lord of our souls. Does that make sense? Is he Lord of your lifestyle? I want it to be Lord of all. And the reason half the time is not Lord of my lifestyle is because I don't trust him to lead me into life. I want to stay in control. I've got this deep fear that that's most of us. The reason we struggle to completely surrender is we're not sure whether he's completely trustworthy will, will it, and we manage everything. Mate, mate, give it all up. And even this morning, it's like I want us to have the space to, to go, Lord, what can I change in my lifestyle that would see me be replenished and renewed and have snappy and necky times? Nappy, not that nappy. <laughs> Snacky and, na- and nappy, yeah, and nappy times. <laughs> Some of you like less nappies, Lord, less nappies. <laughs> now, the amazing thing about Jesus is that you can contrast his lifestyle from Elijah's. So Elijah's a hero of our faith, so I'm not trying to... But Elijah wasn't self-aware enough and didn't have the wisdom to make the calls to recover well, clearly. I don't believe God wants anyone underneath a bush suicidal or, or one to take, you know, calling it a day. That's not his heart. Jesus never got there. He never. Got, he had more pressure on his plate than, than Elijah would have faced, and he never got there. And so there's some. It's fascinating. Now this is a Sam Harvey original. Haven't stolen. So it's very average. But it's like in our prayer meeting last week. I just felt this thing of like of the both end that Jesus exhibited. There are times we, where we contend, like you just got to contend or you've got to fight or it's like I've got to stir up passion or I've got to, I've got to, I've got to engage or I've got to, be self, I've got to be selfless. One of the classic examples here is actually when uh, John the Baptist is killed and Jesus, this is cousin, very close to John the Baptist, both in a ministry and on, and on a relational level. And, uh, and so he's shocked and he's gutted and he hops on a boat to have self-care. He wants to withdraw and to grieve. And then he gets off the boat, sees the crowds. And what does he, what the Bible says, he saw the crowds and had compassion. That's selfless. 
unbelievable selflessness. But he still prioritizes self-care because once he's done ministering and digging deep, he's got to go and pay back what he just poured out. So he goes to find refuge in his heavenly father. He goes to a lonely place and, and, to, and just chills with God. And a lot of the time I think we, we think of like chilling with God as being some boring thing or some difficult thing or some like, like something we don't really enjoy, but it's good for us, like eating broccoli or whatever. And it's like, it's not. You've got a picture chilling with your heavenly father, like sitting next to the pool in Rarotonga. That's what, that's what the sort of relationship Jesus had with his father. It wasn't like I have to or I should. It's like I get to. I get to run and lie down in green pasture and just relax and nap and snack and just enjoy the presence of a God who will restore me. This is what God, and then the disciples get in a pickle on the boat. It's like, ah, walk across the water, you know, and then the story continues. But these are these two dynamics constant. Jesus had wisdom to navigate life. And my, you can have both. So I'm, I'm saying right now as a season, we're both contending and resting. <laughs> In fact, we're contending to rest. Like the author of the Hebrews says, make every effort to enter into the rest of God. Paradoxically, sometimes you've got to do the mahi to kind of get into the, the treats, right? You've got to do the mahi to get the treats. You've got to do some like lean in and say, I want this. So I'm going to do the difficult task of disappointing people, changing my lifestyle, doing whatever I can so I can enter into seasons of rest. And so my contention is that most of us know that to follow Jesus on the left-hand side of the ledger, like, yep, that's definitely, that's definitely really important we do all that stuff as a serious follower of Jesus. But most of us, I think, really have got to learn a lot around the wisdom of following the way of Jesus so that resting and waiting and peace and withdrawing and self-care become attributes to our lifestyle like Jesus. As we, as we seek to follow Jesus, that those dynamics... Uh, um, continue to be uh, cultivated in our life. Jesus promised that he would satisfy our souls. He would give us water to drink when we are parched. He said this in John 7. He says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, this is a festival celebrating when Moses hit the rock and the water came out and fed the Israelites in the middle of the desert. How cool is this? Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. Jesus wants to satisfy us with living water. And this morning we want to pray, come Holy Spirit, fill us so that there's living water. There's living water within us. He wants us to be people that, that, that where there's something that just flows out of us, where we drink from him so deeply. Um, Andrew Gurman can correct me, not publicly, but later if I'm wrong here. But, um, <laughs> but my Googling, which is your favourite thing that I'm sure many punters do to, to clarify your uh, diagnoses, um, my Googling suggested that sometimes with dehydration, uh, one of the symptoms can be you actually stop getting thirsty, where actually you stop feeling thirst. Not the only, only symptom, but many, uh, we'll talk later. Um, but, you know, I think that can happen in our Christian faith, that we can actually, we can lose sight of how thirsty we are for the springs of living water because we just kind of tick along and, uh, and we just, uh, and it's like, and then, like, I think in these seasons, in, like, last week, and it's like, oh, man, I'm really thirsty. <laughs> I'm really, really thirsty. I need him. I need him to, to, to not just, and because it's not just for us. 
Like when those springs of living water just like we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're satisfied, but others are satisfied as well because we have the capacity to love agape styles. Uh, and so he wants to give this to us. Um, this is a season, I believe, where God wants us to find refuge in him and drink deeply to encounter him. And directly after his time of resting and snacking, Elijah encountered God in a fresh way. There's a direct correlation between rest and the presence of God. Right from the beginning of Exodus where Moses says, how will we know that you are with us? And God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. There is an intimate connection between rest and the presence of God. I desperately want us to be people. I want us to be a church that carry the presence of God. Where miraculous, the miraculous power of God is unleashed on our world. Where, where we carry something. Of, and it's actually directly it's connected to how rested we are. <laughs> Interesting, eh? It's, like, it's directly connected. And, uh, and so, so Elijah goes up to the mountain and it wasn't in all the spectacular fire and earthquakes and all that stuff. It wasn't in the big conference or anything like that. It was in silence that he met God. And that stillness and in the silence, the voice of God spoke to him and, and once more changed his life. And so I, again, I, wanna, I want to say we're going to worship as we finish in a second. And, uh, and I believe that he's here and he wants to meet with us. But also I want to keep on encouraging you to have contemplative moments of silence and stillness throughout your week where you allow God to tenderly minister to your soul. Uh, I've come in to hover around the runway with this. Um, My friend Dr. Joseph McCauley said this just on on Facebook yesterday. I thought, this is gold. He says, learning to be content isn't selling yourself short, settling for second best, or a surefire way to miss out. Rather, it is part of what it means to embody the Sermon on the Mount and critical to becoming a non-anxious presence in the world. Contentment aids contemplation and helps us helps one to live, I love this, as a connoisseur of life who knows it is all ultimately a gift. This stirs, one imagine, stirs one's imagination not towards covetousness, but towards a sacramental appreciation of, well, everything. Godliness with contentment is great gain, the rich simplicity of being yourself with God. Like when we choose to dial it down and stop like working so hard to get more stuff, then actually we become content with what we have. And then we become, I love that word, a connoisseur of life. A connoisseur is someone very good at drawing out all the goodness and being able to like just be very good at that particular thing. And so I love the idea of being a connoisseur of life. And that's the invitation of God, that we'd be a non-anxious presence, well-rested, that is a connoisseur of life. You know, um, I'm committed, as part of this connoisseur of life thing, to spend more time staring at my grass in my backyard. And I'm doing a lot of that recently. I've put a lot of fertilizer on there and I'm watering it a lot. And I'm like, part of me is like, I feel like I'm a connoisseur of life when I'm not on my phone and I'm looking at how wonderful the grass looks. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what I can do to make that look even more amazing. Or like when you walk down to, you know, the beach and you're just like looking around going, this is amazing. You know, or you look at your kids, and even though they drive you up your your wall, you're like, I would take a bullet for you. You're the most wonderful little kid. Say that funny thing again. And a connoisseur of life. This is when when we start resting, we start being present to the beauty and the glory, and, and that it's all grace. A sacramental worldview says that God Himself has given it. It's a gift from the God, the Lord God Almighty, and we become a connoisseur of life. It's like, oh, so what are the things, I, I, I finished with this, um, I, I incorrectly took a little dig at Luke last week because I like doing that, um, and, and you know, I was talking about his fly fishing and said, you know, uh, 
to quote himself, you know, sometimes we can take a good thing and make it a God thing, which is true on anything. We can like make it a thing that we look to for refuge. But you know what I want Luke doing? In this season, I want Luke doing more fly fishing, thinking about God, thinking about how good God is. Like that's, that's a sacramental worldview. That's been a connoisseur of life. That's not compartmentalizing God away into certain spiritual bits and all the rest of it is ho-hum normal life. It's, it's learning to deeply appreciate the goodness of God right now. And one more little plug for this practice. Honestly, guys, if you're not doing this, can I, can I give it a crack? Practice gratitude. I write down two or three times a week normally in a little journal five things I'm grateful for. And it's training my brain to be grateful. And it means I'm just looking out in the world, just getting more and more stoked about the goodness of God. My income hasn't changed. My car hasn't changed. That creaky window that needs to be fixed hasn't changed. Our coffee machine is still broken, pray for us. But it's like, but I'm learning to just be like, oh, wow, aren't you good, God? Wow, aren't you kind? Oh, look how beautiful that is. Oh, my gosh, that's incredible. And just slowing down to, you know, smell the roses. It's such a great thing. So as I finish, if God is inviting us into a season of recovery, refuge, and renewal, what would it look like for you? What does a season of rest and renewal look like for you? Listen, how can you do less? Like, is it, is it possible for you to do a bit less right now? It may not be, but if it's not, I would also just gently suggest... Um, what are the reasons that you believe you can't and bring them to the Lord? Lord, I feel a bit stuck. Like, and he's with you. He's for you. He's very, very smart. Very, very smart. And he may just drop a little idea in your head so that you could walk in obedience to his invitation, which I believe in this season is to say it's been an intense year. It's time to nap and snack. It's time to nap and snack. What renews your soul how can you do more of that? What a great question. Like, that's different than what relaxes you. Like, a bottle of gin will relax you, right? Ten hours of Netflix will relax you. What renews you? What restores you? Yeah, good question. How can you do more of that? Isn't this a great message? Don't, like, nowhere else in culture are people saying this. And I know it's a little bit confronting because we, we, we like, you know, we've got our own little idols we bow down to, but it's like, how good is God that he wants to invite us into life? Come to me and rest, Jesus says. Learn from me. Oh, how can you do less? And I just finish with this <laughs> little asterisk on the listening. Can I just say that church should actually be the bottom of the list of what we drop, not the first thing? This is his bride. He loves it. It's uh, his family, so we protect it. It's the new temple, it's the place his presence dwells, and it's his body where his purposes are outworked. I'll say that again. It's his bride, he loves it, he's passionate for it. It's, his, like, it's the family of God, so we actually we stick up for our family, we protect it. It's the new temple, it's the place where his presence dwells, and it's his body, it's where his purposes are outworked. That's ecclesiology in like a minute. That's what the church is all about. So I'm like, my thing is let's maybe say no to a bunch of other things and simplify our lives and stay committed to the church and its purposes. And, uh, and all of those, that everyone that's ever come to me and said it's time for a season where I take a break from whatever knows that I actually get my pom-poms out every time that happens. Good choice, well done. 
you, you have to make difficult decisions. You have to disappoint people, even your pastor sometimes. But I'm like, how about we disappoint our coach or disappoint, I don't know, the, the rhythms, the, you know, the expectation that Netflix has on our lives or disappoint Mark Zuckerberg or dis- disappoint Rupert Murdoch or whoever, disappoint a bunch of other folks before. Anyway, there's a whole tangent. Let's finish. Let's go back and finish. What renews your soul? How can you do more of that? What does it look like for you to rest and to nap? to snack at the season for the rest of the year? What does it look like to just say, yes, I want to actually be intentional about doing a bit less and allow just my soul to be restored, to pay back what I borrowed so that I have the capacity to live a life of love?